It is such a privilege to be here. Um, I love Mission Life and what God is doing at this place. And so anytime that uh, Aaron asked me to, to come in and to be able to, to share God's word, I, I jump on those opportunities because I just love being around you. Um, you have an incredible heart, church, and I just get to hear stories of, of what God's doing here. And it really is um, amazing. Um, and so my name is Rob Fernandez, not Cuban Casanova. Uh, Cuban Casanova. <laughs> And um, I have the privilege of being our outreach pastor at Mariner South County. And essentially that just means that I get to oversee how our church expresses love to the communities that are hurting, that are marginalized, that are typically on the fringe of our society. And it is, it is so fun. Uh, I've gotten to work with people here at Mission Life. We've done Mexico trips together to, to engage with God's global movement uh, with churches. It's just been incredible. And so I do want to say um, welcome to new people that are in here. If you are here because you just kind of stumbled in or you're like, I, you needed an extra favor for your, your team today. If you're a Niners fan, you're like, I need, I need that favor today. And you're here. Um, you know, no matter what the reason is that you're here, I, I truly believe that God has you here. I truly believe that God orchestrates our steps. And, and that's been evident in my life. I have not always been a believer. I, I, I've uh, pushed God away for, for a large season of my life. And yet over and over and over again, he showed up in powerful ways. In ways that I look back now, I'm like, oh God, I didn't even realize what you were doing in this place. In the time that I felt so distant and far from you, you were pursuing me. And so I really believe that um, God has you here and that he would speak through his word. Um, I know that you celebrated one year's mission life, which is exciting. That is awesome. What an incredible milestone. Um, and I love the church verse that you guys are talking. I have it in the NIV translation, but I wanted to read it because what incredible vision. You have an incredible lead pastor in Aaron Kerr. He is, he is a dear friend of mine. And let me tell you, like, he's the real deal. He really loves people and loves God in the way that you see him express it. And so you are a blessed church to have God put somebody in a position to be able to lead this church forward. Um, God is going to do continual blessings in and through this place. And so Ephesians 3, I'm going to read this out. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to, be, to him be glory and in, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more. God is able to see us where we are, that we could put our request in front of him, and he will surprise us every time. I know when I laid my life before God in my mid-20s, I felt super distant. I was living a selfish, self-absorbed life. I felt so undeserving. And I, I remember praying this prayer. God, just don't let me get too far. I remember experience that I had when I was young, and it was real. I was at a camp that I was invited to, and I'll share a little bit about that later. But I remember that when I was a teenager. Now I'm in my 20s, having lived completely for myself, hurt a ton of people, felt like my life was in a ditch. I pulled my car over on the side of the freeway, and I said, God, don't let me get too far. And God, not only to say, okay, I'll, I'll keep you where you are. I won't let you go any further. He reached over and pulled me closer, exceeding anything I could have asked or imagined. God had me. He loved me. And it took a while, and it still takes a while to learn what it looks like to live in that love and to view God as who he is and who he says he is. But it's a beautiful, beautiful journey. And so you have fresh vision, church. 
that God will do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine, both individually and through this church. God has placed you in a public space. That is amazing. What incredible favor you can have with this community. What incredible reach you can have as a church. And together, you can have this community that, honestly, I, I think we can't even imagine what God is going to continue to do through Mission Life. But it's going to be great. So today, I'm expecting that God will meet us in his word. He always does. And I love how God's word works. Because it is alive and active, it can speak to us in the season that we're in. We can hear the same scripture when we're a teenager, when we're a young person, when we're middle-aged, have kids. In every season, God is able to speak a new truth through his same word. And I've seen it over and over and over again. And so today, I believe that God is going to speak to us individually. I think he's going to speak to us as a church. My hope is that he drives us towards a way of living and viewing him that will allow us to thrive in this place, but not for our own sake, but for the sake of those around us as well. Because we are called to live, to love God, and to love others. And so um, I'm going to pray. We're just going to ask God to fill this room. He's here with us. You know, I used to pray, God, would you be with us? And then I, my, my prayer changed. I started to say, God, would you make us aware of your presence? Because he's here. And what we get to learn as a church is what it looks like to begin to turn our faces towards his. And it's awesome. And no matter where you are in your journey with God, this is a good place. We are people that believe and understand our own brokenness. We don't pretend to have it all figured out. This isn't a room of self-righteous people. You are a room of people who recognize the desperate need for a savior and have found hope in the name of Jesus. And that hope is contagious. And so we're going to pray that we would be aware of what God is doing in this place. Would you join me? God, we are grateful. We are so grateful for you, Lord, that you meet us and love us where we are. That you don't ask us to arrive at a place and then you'll begin to minister to us in that place. That you don't expect us to walk into this room perfect, Lord. No, you are the only one that is perfect and you cover us in that perfection. So God, I pray today as we look at your word that you would speak powerfully to us, God. That you would remind us that we are loved by you. That you are a generous and abundant God. Would you help us, Lord? Open our hearts to you and receive everything that you have for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus, God. And we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So um, it's, I, I've, I've gotten to speak here before and share God's word, and it's funny, and I was telling Kerr this morning, every time I've come up in a series, I'll come up and say, hey, I, I have the privilege of wrapping up the series, and Kerr is always like, no, you're not wrapping up the series, and today, I'm actually wrapping up the series Limitless. Okay, good. So I get the privilege of wrapping up this series called Limitless. Good. So just looking one more time to make sure. Um, and it's an incredible series. Essentially, it's, it's learning to discover God's limitless resources so that we could live our best life. Now, um, there's a, a trendy hashtag that's out there. It's called living your best life. If, if maybe you've heard of it. But essentially what this hashtag and this phrase that people use is living their best life. They add it to some picture that, of them on a vacation with a Mai Tai in their hand to make everyone else that views that picture jealous. Living my best life. Or I'll talk about my parents. My parents are now retired, and so they go on trips. I they were the hardest working people. 
My parents um, immigrated from Cuba. My mom and her family, they, they were actually really wealthy in Cuba, but they, my grandparents were wise enough to know that the rise of communism was going to crush them and keep them imprisoned. And so they left everything behind, showed up in the United States as refugees, and worked so hard to achieve what was considered the American dream. And I get to stand on their shoulders of what they did so that I can experience God, the fullness of what God has for me and the calling that he's placed on me. And so I'm so grateful for my parents. But you know what? They are now reaping this reward of having worked so hard. They are on cruise. I think right now they are on a cruise. And I'm like, good for my parents. They are living their best life. And so my family jokes, my siblings joke, but essentially this idea of living your best life has two ways to think about it. There's the world's way. The world's way, which we actually see the most, living your best life. We see people pick, post their picture and, or, or talk about their life in this really incredible highlight, this luxury, this, this what is essentially very self-focused way of living. And we say, that is my best life. When I'm living for me and I'm experiencing the luxury that this world has to offer. Hashtag living my best life. And yet, that life is like putting a Band-Aid over a bullet wound. That life is essentially trying to fix something with something that will never be what heals. And what we get to do is recognize that, but it might take a little while. I know that I live my life, and I'll share it a little bit. There's a season where I was bleeding out from a bullet wound, and I just kept trying to slap Band-Aids on it. And you know what? Eventually, I recognize I'm going to bleed out soon. I'm going to bleed out, and I need God to meet me in this place, and he does. And so what does Jesus have to say about the best life? Because I'll tell you right now, it's different than the best life the world has for us. Excuse me. The best life that the world has for us. And so once we begin to recognize that there's a difference, we get to begin to run towards the one that God has. And the one that we will actually experience healing and fullness. And this is what it says in John 10.10. 10. These are Jesus' words. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translations use have it abundantly, have it overflowing. But essentially, Jesus is saying there's another way that you can live your best life, and it's not the world's version, it's this version, which is to be full with the blessing and abundance of God's presence. And we get invited into that, and there's no prerequisite. There's nothing that we have to do to earn it. And it's amazing as we step into it, we get to truly experience God's blessing. And so, um, is it possible that we might be missing the fullness and overflowing abundance of God's presence in our life because we have created an expectation of what it means to have a best life? And I know for me, there's still places in my life that God is working on me to reveal to me that I am still holding on to a worldly mindset, and he wants me to be free of that because that's a prison. He's like, I want you to experience the freedom. And so is there a chance that you might be actually still holding on to this idea of what a best life looks like when God has something better? And that's what we're going to explore. Um, my, I've been married for almost seven years, and uh, I have a confession. This is church. I could share here. This is a safe place. My wife and I love reality television. Love it. It's, I survive, I try, I apply to be on the survivor. I love it. I love the amazing race, all the music talent competitions. We eat it up. We love, we, we, we overconsume. That is my confession. I'm a glutton for this stuff. But 
What's interesting is we were watching, I, I, there's one in particular, America's Got Talent, and I love that one because it's like the underdog story. These are people that you're like, you have an incredible talent that has never been able to be revealed. You are an underdog, and you go on this show not knowing what to ex expect. And specifically lately, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to show a video, but not yet. There's a, a guy. Uh, he's, he's from the Philippines, and um, he goes on to the show in the Philippines. He was orphaned when he was seven. His dad was in jail. His mom had left him. And so from the age seven until he was an adult, he was living as an orphan. 30 years or so into the future, he's now an adult. He has an incredible voice, and he goes on to this show to sing. Perfect underdog story. He goes on, and then at the finale, the producers were able to find his... The whole country rallied. When they heard him and heard him sing, they were in love. And they're like, we're going to help you find his family, or help you find your family. The very last episode, they find his family. His mom and dad and siblings he didn't know he had were in the audience watching him. He wins America's Got Talent Philippines, which is really weird. They need to fix that. <laughs> Someone I was, in, I was with a friend yesterday, like, shouldn't it be Philippines Got Talent? I'm like, I know, but we call it America's Got Talent Philippines because <laughs> how... How American is that of us? Um, so he goes on, and I'm going to show this. Here's another little side note. I love when people who have a public platform share the good news of Jesus. It is impactful. It is powerful. The reach is incredible. And so this person decides to sing the song of the prayer, which is essentially a song of praise to God. And so with the idea of expectation in our mind, can we show that video? I'm going to ask you one last question. Are you here to win it? Yes. Good. It's about a minute. I pray you'll be alright. That's his voice. Watch us where we go. In help us to be. watch the rest of that on YouTube. It is incredible, right? So here's why I wanted to show this video. Because we have expectation. We place expectation on everything. And when this guy came out, I'm like, he might be a good singer. I'm kind of expecting what everyone would expect. And when he came out with that level of, of vocal range and that incredible skill, I was blown away. I watched it 10 times. My wife and I'm like, she was in the other room. And she's like, is that a duet? I'm like, no, it's the same guy. And she walks in. But here's the reality. When we set an expectation and it is surpassed, we are blown away. See, we have an expectation of what someone should be able to sing and which range they could sing in. And, and then this guy comes out and we are blown away. It has gone viral. People are so excited about this person because we love when our expectations are blown away. But here's the truth on that other side. When we have an expectation and it's not met, we become disappointed, discontent. 
And so part of what it looks like to follow Jesus is what does it look like to manage our expectation? And here's what's awesome. We can never expect too much from God. He will never fail us. When we set our expectation in him to do immeasurably more, especially when we are pursuing his kingdom. See, it's not about having our selfish needs met, but to have the kingdom develop and grow and people know who he is and know his love. When we set expectations on God to do immeasurably more in that context, we will always be blown away. Always, always, always. But I'll say this, and I do this. We set an expectation on God, and depending on how life is treating us, we actually make God less than who he is. We make God less than who he is. Instead of viewing him as a God of abundance, we view him as a God of barely just enough. And I'll tell you the truth. There's some mornings I wake up and it feels like the week just beat me up and I got bad news after bad news. And I'll open my eyes and unfortunately I've allowed myself to pray this prayer. God, will you give me just enough energy to get through today? Will you give me just enough? I just need enough to get through today. And let me tell you, that is putting God in the smallest, smallest box. God invites us to pray to his abundance of who he is and his blessing. And again, I'll probably say it a few more times, in the context of his kingdom growing. You'll be disappointed if you pray for that Lamborghini, most likely. But you'll never be disappointed when you pray for God's love to be expressed through you and in you, ever. And so, what does it look like for God to invite us to see him as a God of abundance so that we could be full, this fullness that Jesus describes, and not for our sake of being full, but that we would be overflowing so that we could flow into the lives of others. That is a calling that has been placed on every one of us. It's not reserved for pastors or church staff or worship leaders. We are all called to be filled to the brim with God's presence and blessing so that we could find others to help fill. And it's an awesome, awesome call. Winston Churchill says this, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. That, gosh, this is a person who understands biblical truth here. You can make a living by what you get, and we all have to make a living. There's bills to pay, I get all that. Sometimes they keep me up at night. But the life, the life that God has for us, the best life, is made by what we give. And so today we get to explore what this insanity and beauty of living in generosity because of of an abundant God. And it's going to be these three things. I'm going to say them now, but we're going to come back to them. That our prayers would match God's abundance. That our generosity would reflect God's abundance, and that our lives would declare God's abundance. When we get to live in those things, we begin to open up the floodgates of heaven into our lives because God is saying, I'm going to use you to bless others. And so Paul is writing in the scripture that we're going to look at in 2 Corinthians. He's writing to a church in Corinth. Now, this is early church. These are people that have just, I mean, Jesus was just on the scene in that way. He had lived, ministered, died on the cross, rose again. His disciples have, are now out beginning church movement. I mean, it's amazing. And he's writing to a church in Corinth. And he's reminding them of this insane truth about generosity that I think all of us 
get to remember every day. And this is what he says in verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. I'm going to break this down in kind of in two ways. But I grew up hearing from my parents, you reap what you sow. And it was always in a negative connotation. It was usually after I did something stupid and they were, they were about to tell me what that consequence was. That, that's how I understand what reaping and sowing was as a young man. I remember my brother and I, we dragged mattresses to the backyard and we got onto the roof with a ladder and we jumped off and, and those mattresses were not thick enough for us. And we both got hurt and we walk in, we're crying, and, and I, I can remember my mom essentially saying, you reap what you sow here. That's the way that I've understood reaping and sowing. And yet what we see in the scripture is there's something more. What if we began to view you reap what you sow in the positive light that God describes it? What if we began to understand that God is inviting us to sow generously with the promise that we are going to reap a generous return. And it's, it's a little dangerous to get into some of the scripture because there have been people that will take this and, and turn generosity into a transaction with God. And that, that is so dangerous because then you put the wrong expectation on who God is. God, if I do this, then you'll do this. And suddenly, it's not about a relationship with God, it's about a transaction. What God is interested in is transformative generosity, not transactional and so we look at this, and here's, here's the truth for all of us. Every day, we sow our time, our talent, which we could, we, in other words, of saying your energy and your effort, and our treasure, or our money, our finances. Every day, we are making choices to sow these things. Now, confession time. I love church. I can just sit here and confess all day. There are days... Because I love reality TV, I sow my time into binge-watching Netflix. And you know what? At the end of those days where I believe that I'm going to actually have some kind of right, I did nothing all day, I should feel great. I feel miserable. I'm like, what, what did I do with my time? You know what? I sowed my time, this God-given ability that he's given me to dedicate my life to other things, and I sowed it into kind of satisfying my own desire for entertainment. And at the end of the day, I sow nothing. I sow discontentment, actually. I sow dissatisfaction. And so, just yesterday, um, I, I had the privilege of going down to Mexico. We have a church partner there. Uh, God has given them a vision to plant 50 churches. They're at church. We were, we were working on Church 42 in a community center. It's amazing. Um, now his son is kind of leading the charge. You're like, well, we're going to look at 500 churches throughout South America now. Like, God has increased our vision. But I went with our church at South County, and it was awesome because there were these two parents and their kids. It was our first time ever on any kind of mission trip, and um, I could tell they were nervous in the morning. I could tell they're like, well, we've never crossed the border. We've never interacted with people that don't speak the same language as us. It was, I could tell there was some kind of anxiety, but the heart was there, and they're like, we are going to sow into God's kingdom this way. And so we get across the border, and it was an amazing day. We did uh, drywall for seven straight hours. It was just drywalling, this huge community center. And this family in particular took a room, and they'd never drywalled, they never mudded, they never put tape. I mean, it's a process, but they learned how to do it. And at the end of the day, I asked, what was your high and low moment? 
and the mom and dad, they're like, my high was serving with our kids. To see them give back to God was incredible. And I could tell, you know, they're, they're like, I hope this was transformative for my child. And then I asked the son, and he said, well, my high was learning something that I didn't know how to do before. I'm so glad that I was here. I'm so glad that I did this. And I didn't fight with my sister once. And, the, and the, I could tell, like, it must be a war zone at the house because the parents are like, hallelujah, my kids didn't fight today. Why? Because they had their mind and eyes set on Jesus and the work of the kingdom. Their focus, they were sowing into his kingdom and their return was peace and joy. I know they're going to be on this next trip. I could tell that they experienced such deep levels of satisfaction. Okay, so you reap what you sow. Let us be a church that says we are going to reap generously because we know that God will allow us to sow a generous return for his kingdom. Then the second part, you must decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. When it comes to generosity, God is way less concerned about how much you give, and he's more focused on the condition of your heart when you give. And I'm not just talking about to the church, I'm talking about to the way we are generous to people outside of this place, yes, to the church for sure, but God is way more concerned with the condition of our heart when we give. Because if we give out of any kind of pressure or reluctance, we are missing the blessing that returns to us when we sow into God's kingdom. And God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to experience his abundance. And so the next slide, uh, the next version, that we, the scripture we look at, there's a, an attached promise to generosity. This is what it says. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their, deed, their good deeds will be remembered forever. When we're focused on God, using our lives to honor him, he invites us into an ability to pray using his scripture. You know, I'm, I'm still learning every day what it looks like to pray to God. Sometimes I sit in silence in his presence. I'm like, God, I don't even know what to say today. I'm just going to be with you. Would you just minister to me? Would you just be with me? Sometimes I'm just like rapid fire. I'm like, God, I got, I'm sorry. I have five minutes from this place to this place. But I try to engage God in all of these different places. And one practice that I have began to really implement is to use scripture during my prayer time. Not that I would say, hey, God, this is what you said. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. No, actually what I am doing when I'm repeating scripture in my, in my prayer time is I am reminding myself of God's provision and blessing. And so this truth, God will provide everything you need. So that, um, and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That is, that is a promise of God that we can hold on to. And so when I pray, I'm like, God, you are an abundant God. You are a God who loves me. You are a God that is with me. I'm, I want to love people better. I want to be a better husband, a better son, hopefully eventually a, a better dad. I want to be the person that represents you well. Will you bless me? Will you give me everything I need to do that? Because your word says, and sometimes I'll write it on a flashcard, and I'll read it because I have a terrible memory. And I'll look at it. He said, because your word says, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. God, that's the kind of life I want to live for you. 
Our prayers should match God's abundance. You know, I get it. Those days that we feel beat up, just bad news after bad news, and we, 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 we get a prayer out, if we can even get to that place, and say, God, will you give me just enough to get through today? Will you give me just enough? And God is inviting us to remember that he is the God of abundance, not the God of just enough. It's also important to remember that God will generously provide all that we need, not all that we want. Thank God for that truth, because if he gave me everything I wanted, especially when I was in my 20s, I would now be a self-absorbed, lonely person married to the wrong person. If God gave me everything I wanted in that moment, I would have missed out on the incredible blessing of even knowing him. So I'm so grateful that God gives us all that we need. Continues on in verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide, the in, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. It's a great reminder for us that everything we have is God's already. Everything that we have is already God's. And it says it right here. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. Everything. Everything that we have, the, the, the breath in our lungs, the morning we wake up to, the people in our life, the money in our bank account, everything is God's. And so I want to actually talk a little bit about two postures that we could have. Because God wants us to experience real freedom. Freedom that we'll probably spend our whole life figuring out how to walk into. But there's real freedom and there's two ways, there's a way that we get to experience that. When we begin to view ourselves as a steward instead of an owner. Because I'll tell you, being an owner will trap you and imprison you. I've experienced that life. And, and there's actual physical posture I attach to being an owner and it's this. It's closed fist. Whatever I have, I'm going to hold on to with a death grip because I'm afraid of losing it because it's mine. And I don't want anyone to share it. And not only do I not want to share it with anybody, I actually want to go get everybody else's so that I can have more in my hands. <clears throat> that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is the posture of an owner. It's dangerous. It actually removes us from God's presence. It removes us from experiencing the abundance that he has for us because we can't even receive with this posture. But then there's the posture of a steward. And I had the incredible privilege of meeting with a pastor in Kenya. And he began to explain to me his church and, and what God's doing and the vision that God's giving them. And um, I was just so intrigued because he's like, my church has been this, especially when it relates to connecting with the Western, Western church. He's like, we've been this. What can we receive? What can we receive? What can we receive? He's like, but God has given us a new vision, and it's this. How can we bless? How can we bless? How can we bless? See, the posture of a good steward is being willing to receive what God has, but then immediately knowing that we don't close our hands, which we tend to, our humanity wants to, because now it's mine. No, God says to be a good steward, to keep your hands open to receive everything and turn and bless others. Owner. Close to God's blessing, close to God's abundance. Steward, open to receiving everything so that in turn we can bless. And I, every day I'm learning what this looks like for my life. As a young man, I, I mentioned, I was going to share a little bit, uh, I haven't always followed Jesus. I was very far from Jesus, especially in college. And everything I had was this. 
my car, my money, my, my time, uh, my Friday nights, my Sunday mornings, everything was this. They're mine. I'm going to do with them what I want to do with them. And eventually what happened is I, 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 my life got so spiraled downwards that I, I felt empty. I, I felt absolutely useless to this world. And God, in his incredible love for me, began to communicate after that prayer of, God, just don't let me get too far because this life has been awful. And he began to put people in my life that spoke truth into me. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to open up a little bit. He began to teach me what it meant to be generous to other people. He began to show me how loved I was. That there's things in my life that I thought disqualified me from his love. And he said, no. Your brokenness actually qualifies you to receive everything that Jesus has for you. You could receive mercy and forgiveness. And so he taught me how to live like this. Now this posture is beautiful. But it's only one-sided. Because this is where we, to, we get to experience so much more of who God is. The blessing to other people. My, uh, my wife and I have, and I shared this with my church recently uh, at South County. My wife and I have been trying to have a baby for a little while now. And, um, you know, I think at first I was like, okay, God, this, I, I feel like you've communicated we're going to be a family. I, I want this. And over time, God is like, I, you trust me. Trust me with timing. Trust me with your life, your family. And, and he's teaching me, even my family is not mine. It's his. And I'll tell you, and to, to be open with you, um, in this process of, of trying to have a family, we got really excited because my, my wife um, was pregnant. And pretty, pretty quickly, we, we lost that first pregnancy. And we were crushed and devastated, and we mourned. And yet, God taught me that this way allowed me to heal faster. Allowed my wife and I to lean into his presence and say, God, everything we have is yours, even the future of our family. Because if I was like this, I, I don't know if I could have recovered. But this taught me that God is with me, that he loves me, that there's still a family in our future, whatever that might look like. We're trusting him. And what a blessing that God would remind me that he's a God of abundance and I can trust in him. And so we continue on. And in verse 11, it says this. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem, the, another translation says just the holy people, will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So we talked about how our, our prayers should uh, match God's abundance. This next part is that we get to look at that our generosity should, should, our, our generosity should reflect God's abundance. It's amazing what God invites us into. That when we get to step in and be generous, see, there's a little bit of, of an idea that we can, we can act generously, and that's awesome. But God's desire for us is to live as generous people. And what we're invited into is that we get to be difference makers. For these people that the scripture is being written to in Corinth, he's like, there, there's a result of your generosity. Let me tell you what it is right now. You are meeting the practical needs of people, which is powerful. I think people believe like, oh, in order to share Jesus, I have to have a degree from seminary, 
and I need to be just incredibly articulate. And yet what we learn here is in order to share the love of Jesus, sometimes it's just about being generous to other people. And God will take that. God will take that and do incredible things. We are invited to be difference makers so that people's needs can be met. And then the second part is that people will joyfully express thanksgiving to God. Ultimately, that is our purpose, that we would be in relationship with God and give him thanksgiving for all things. Today, we're going to look at a community for the the last part of our scripture here. Um, Early church. It's in the book of Acts, and these are people that were living their best life. And I'm not talking about, like, hashtag living your best life, like the Mai Tai and Tahiti best life, which is awesome. If you go on vacation, that's great. But their best life in God's calling. And this is how it starts in Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, communion, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers devoted themselves to understanding God's word, to being in community or fellowship, sharing in meals, being generous to one another, and in prayer. And I love what generosity did for this early church. And we're going to continue reading. There are people within this church that sold everything they had and just said, here's what I got from everything. Whoever has need, let's, let's meet that need. And God blessed them immensely. This is a church that saw signs and miracles. And it's not reserved for first century church. No, we are actually called to stand on the shoulders of these churches, these people that have been following Jesus to do more in God. Miracles are not dead. Miracles happen every day. And the people that get to witness them are the ones that are saying, God, I'm going to receive what you have and bless others. I'm going to receive what you have and bless others. Those people get to experience God's blessing and miracles. And this church was in a deep sense of awe. Continues on. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They sold everything they had. We're going to be together. We are family. This life is meant to be lived to the fullest, and God is inviting us into that. And this church knew it, and they got to experience the miracles of God working in and through them. It's astounding. And I love that this church is walking in line with that church. You're a generous church. You expect God to move powerfully. Your lead pastor absolutely is so obedient to the way that God speaks to him. You are set up to do amazing things in 2020. So we continue on in Acts as as we look at this, but I want to read verse 46. If we can put that back, that last slide back up. They worship together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They share their meals with great joy and generosity. Joy and generosity are a married pair. Absolutely every time. You will never experience joy without generosity, and you will never experience generosity without the experience of joy. They are together always. And this church knew it. Because God-given joy, which we all 
want to experience and what God actually wants us to experience is fueled by God-driven generosity. When we focus on what God is doing, and, and you may be in here and like, I don't even really know about this God person. I don't know about this Jesus person. That's okay. The fact that you are here hopefully is a sign that God is pursuing you. When I walked back into that church in my mid-20s after praying, God, don't let me go too far, I was like, I'm going to get struck by lightning. I'm, I'm going to be booed out of here. Someone's going to see me from a party they saw me and say, what are you doing here? I was so anxious about what it would look like to walk back into church. And yet when I walked in there, I just felt the incredible generosity of our God towards me. He was generous in his mercy, in his grace. I was so overwhelmed, I couldn't even describe what I was experiencing. I just started bawling, crying. And I was like, with a girl I just met who invited me to church. Thank God she married me five years later. But she invited me to church, and I'm sitting there, I'm crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And I couldn't articulate it then, but what I was experiencing was the incredible mercy of a loving God. And I look back, and I'm like, God, I'm so grateful. You are so generous. Thank you for allowing me to experience such great joy, God. Would you teach me to be generous? Continues on. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. In each day, the Lord added to their fellowship to those who are being saved. Generosity allows us to take part in the bigger picture of what God is doing in this world. The greatest call that we will ever experience is to be a part of God's redemptive work in our world. My family, um, I'm so grateful. My, you know, there, there were, I grew up Catholic, um, and my, my mom was so devout, and she was kind of our spiritual anchor. Uh, she is just amazing. And um, I remember praying for my dad as a, as a young man, and I'm like, okay, God, I need you to move in my dad's life. And I, I saw him start to attend church with us because it was just me and my mom with the other siblings I have. And he started to attend church. And then as an adult, I, I saw my brother, who's like my best friend. And I'm like, God, would you move in his life? He ends up going through rooted experience at the church that I was working at, which was at Mariner's Irvine at the time. It gets baptized, absolutely has his life changed. And I'm like, God, thank you so much. You are so generous. And God used me to influence my brother's life for the sake of God's kingdom. And God can use you in the lives of your loved ones, of your neighbors, of your workplace, of your workplace, your kids, your parents, to use you through expressing just generosity with your time, talent, and treasure towards people to allow God's kingdom to thrive. Our lives should declare God's abundance. Our lives should declare God's abundance. Because we don't serve a God of just enough. We serve a God of abundance. I'm going to invite the worship band to come up. I'm going to just share a story and read one last scripture, but we're, we're just about done. Um, when we allow our lives to declare God's abundance, we essentially get to see God use us to impact other people. And maybe God has placed somebody on your heart right now. You're like, I'm thinking of this person. And I want them to so badly know of God's love. The beautiful part is that God has placed you in their life to win them over so that they would know the deep and profound love of God. I'm going to read this last scripture. So we're called to be generous. We're called to live under God's abundance. 
But God modeled this for us way before we even could for ourselves. And this is what it says in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to talk about a generous God. When we were far, God saw us in the distance and said, I'm not going to let you stay there. I'm going to pursue you until the ends of the earth. And there is one way that he could. And that, that's what the scripture in Romans 5.8 says. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave, God generously gave his one and only son so that we could have the life that is connected to him. And when we are connected to our father in heaven, we experience the blessing and the abundance of his presence. We are filled with joy and generosity. We are moved to live in our purpose here on this earth, not as a transactional generosity, but as a transformational generosity to be people that say, I'm going to give to this world because this world needs to know the love of Jesus. Our prayers should match God's abundance. Our generosity should reflect, reflect God's abundance. And our lives should declare God's abundance. That's how we get to live as joy-filled and generous people. You are loved by God. So what the pastor said when I was standing there bawling my eyes out, and honestly, I, I, it was hard to believe in that moment. Like, but, but God, you don't remember. Do you remember what I did last week? Do you remember this thing I'm doing? Do you remember these habits I have? And in that moment, God said, yeah, I remember. But I love you. And it, 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 was, it just transformed me. Because that's what our God does. He transforms us to look more like Jesus. And every day we get to say, God, not will you give me just enough, but will you overflow my life so that I might be used to impact others around me? Would you join me as we pray? God, we are so grateful. Would you help us be stewards in this world with everything that you have blessed us with and not owners, God? Would you allow us to be open-handed and to receive the incredible abundance that you have for our life so that we can turn and bless others, Lord? God, would you put it in our hearts to allow this church to be generous towards this place, God, so that you can continue the way that you are impacting lives through this place, Lord? The church is not a building. It's not a room. It's the people, God. And so we ask your blessing and your abundance upon this church, these people, Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us joy. Thank you for helping us become generous people. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.